are to be complete, mature, fully grown in Christ. We're to be mature. Grow up. Be strong. Be accountable. Be who you are. To be complete ought to be that goal of every Christian. Does that mean that those who are in Christ are to be exactly alike in every way? I hope not. (laughs) Your struggles aren't my struggles. My struggles aren't your struggles. But we've all got struggles. (laughs) The flesh is alive and well here in this church and in our world. Amen? I can say I'm struggling with and just leave it blank we could have a hundred different things filled in that blank. Because we've all got one. But my goal is to reach perfection in Christ. Amen? That's my goal. And so consequently, if that's my goal, then I've got to always keep striving for that. I love to watch our coaches in action. And they're great. Our coaches are all great. I always, during football season, I always check Bryant, make sure he doesn't have sharp objects in his pockets. You know, I, he's got one of the toughest jobs on our football team, and that's training and teaching cornerbacks how to cover wide receivers. And what we face, he faces every week, are wide receivers that are just, whoo, they're fast, they're big, they're not going to the right school, but they're fast and they're, and they're big. And we sometimes don't have cornerbacks that are as fast and as big. And so his work's cut out for him. But there's a goal that he has, and he sets for them. It's the same for us. Christ has set the goal. We should strive for it. Should every mature Christian be duplicates of one another? Of course, I say no. Because Paul closes this section by showing us how different people made a difference in his ministry. He talks about them, lists them, gives us some insights into them. And if you're playing second string in your organization or in your uh, place where you are, you are almost more valuable than the person in the lead position. You listen to the preseason, I, I do with preseason football, I love to listen to them decide and talk and try to figure out who's going to be and doing what and all this stuff. And you get to see a lot of the second string people play during the preseason. They'll have the, the uh, big dogs, the starters go out there and play for a quarter and then they sit down and, and uh, visit and pray on the sideline <laughs> while the rest of them play. And those guys playing are trying to make that team and so they're playing their hearts out to make that team. But you always hear the commentator say, boy, you know, this guy, he's got to really step up because they're going to need him because the depth is limited in that position. That's huge. You've got to have depth. So not everybody can start. You've got to be ready to play, though, when your number's called, right? That's it with us and God. God, you may not be the lead dog in, in the team, but you are integrally important to the team's success by your involvement, by your willingness to stand up and be counted. I'm so proud of all of our young people, especially these guys 
These guys coming up, haven't they been behaved great up here during this month of August? I'm so proud of them. They've learned very well. You know, I've told you many times that if you're going to sleep in church, just lean forward, we'll think you're praying. These guys have been praying their hearts out up here now. No, not true. But I'm so proud of them. We'll get our church started back up again here in a couple of weeks. So hang in there. But uh, I've just been so proud of them. It's good to have us all together. I love that. I love having kiddos in church. Some people say, well, what? I don't, I don't want to bring my baby in there because they're going to cry. Let them cry. Let them cry. I haven't seen a baby yet can outcry me. So come on. It'll be all right. Because I love having families together. And that's what we all are is a family. But I, let's dig into this last section here and just see what God is trying to teach us through Paul's discussion of God's second string. Picks it up in verse 7, and he introduces us first to the men who were messengers. Look at 7 through 9. Tychicus. I love that. How many of you got to you'll name your next kid Tychicus? You know? What are you going to call him for short? Tick? <laughs> or cuss? Hey, cuss? No. But Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse, uh, verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So Tychicus is described as a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. Boy, Paul's getting some, some high words and praise for this guy. Because he was, he was Paul's helper, great helper in his ministry. In Acts 20, you read about Tychicus in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4 and Titus 2. 3, 2 Timothy 4, Paul talks about how he served as a messenger along with Paul. He might have been the person referred to or one of the persons referred to in 2 Corinthians 8, 23, who was called a messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. Because you see, I can't do it alone. I've got to have your help. And the more help you give, the greater the ministry goes. Amen? That's it. He then mentions Onesimus, a faithful and dear brother. He says he's one of you. <laughs> he meant he's from Colossae. He's one of you guys. See, and we like to have people that are ones of us. Amen? I'm glad to see Darlene wearing that Jinx shirt. I'm, oh, I saw Brad on the field the other day. He had Jinx stuff on. I was just, I had to cry, man. I had to cry. Because when he'd wear that Union stuff, I went, it's not right. God, it's not right. He didn't even walk right. Now he's walking with his chest up and his head held high because he got that old maroon on again. Oh, glory to God. I love it though when he said, when, when he said, he asked Braden if he's going to come to some of the units. He said, Dad, Dad. He goes, Braden, I want you to come to the game with me. He said, Dad, it's union. Now, that's right. Now that boy's caught on now. But I'm so glad that God provided for Brad and they're back in the in, in coaching here and and uh, I just love that family. All both families. Aren't they just awesome? Our families. We've got great coaches and, and, and Kim and Kim's over there at Union now, but we still love him though. Amen. We love we never quit loving Brad. We still love him. 
They pay him more, so you're going where that pay is. Amen. I need to hush and move on. All right. But Onesimus was one of us. That's what he wanted these people to understand in Colossae. He's one of you. And, and, and he was also the guy in Philemon who was the runaway slave. And Paul sent him back. If you read Philemon 4, you'll see that he went back. And so Onesimus was there serving as a messenger for Paul. But it's because of men like these, the influence of the apostles was able then to spread much farther than if they were doing it by themselves. And so that influence of the gospel spread more quickly. As we continue to read in our text, we see, secondly, the men who were comforters. Look at verse, verses 10 and 11. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. There, boy, there's another great one. You're going to name your next kid Aristarchus? Sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Let's take a look at these guys. Aristarchus, there in, in, in the first part of verse 10. He says he is a fellow prisoner. He traveled with Paul in Acts 20. And it was, he was in Acts 19, talked about he nearly lost his life in the riot in Ephesus. Aristarchus did. In Acts 27 and verse 2, he sailed to Rome with Paul. And now he was in Rome with Paul and he sends greetings. He also mentions Mark in the latter part of verse 10. This is the second writer of the gospel. He was the, uh, or the second gospel. He was the cousin or the nephew of Barnabas. So the church in Jerusalem met in Mark's house, if you read Acts 12, 12. In Acts 13, 1 through 13, he started out with Paul and Barnabas on that first journey. For what, for some other reason, he turned back, but he later became a bone of contention between Paul and Barnabas. We find that in Acts 15. But then in 2 Timothy, uh, verse 40, as you fast forward in their lives, Paul then says that he is profitable for service. He even calls him. And in this passage, he says, he proved to be a comfort to me. The point of that story and about Mark is, is that though we were this way, now we can be this way. It's up to us. If you are dry, if you are empty, if you have no drive or maturity in your walk with God, you can change it like that and move right over here. And set your path so that that gets reconnected to God in the right way. Amen. That's the beauty of being in the Lord. Is that He can do that for you. You have to, you have to make the step. And you might say, Preacher, I don't know what to do. Man, give me a call. We'll find a way. I'll help you find some material that you can dig into and get studying. By the way, got three classes starting for you on Sunday morning at 9.30, starting September the 13th. One of them is uh, River Oaks 101. It's a basic foundational class. And you might say, well, I've been a Christian a long time. I don't really need a class like that. I bet you do, because I'll bet you a dime to a dollar you didn't get any foundation laid. They just kind of threw you into the fire and said, go get them. <laughs> I would encourage you to come to that class. Got another class that's starting that's called Unchristian. We want to talk about a generation that is walking away from church, walking away from God, and what difference does that make to you and me? Well, it makes a bunch. So we're going to talk about that. 
Then we're going to have a third class that we will always have a Bible study class going on. We're going to study through the book of 1 John. I'm telling you, great themes in there. Forgiveness, joy, uh, description of every type of sin you'll ever face. Also, great passage, five, chapter 5, verse 13, assurance of salvation. Great themes throughout 1 John. I encourage you to come be a part of those studies, okay? So uh, we'll, we'll be talking about more about that next week. But they will get kicked off on the 13th uh, right here at the church, 9.30, Sunday morning. We're going to go to about 10.10, 10.12, give you a little bit of break, 15-minute break before church starts so you can get a little coffee and a donut if they're left before the kids have run, uh, the locusts have run through there. And uh, there might be a few left. If not, you don't need it anyway. Amen? <laughs> Every time I have one in my hand, you all come up and slap me anyway. So give me that. So you take it away. So Aristarchus Mark, and then he also mentions in verse 11, Jesus called justice. Little is known about him. We do know that he was a Jew. And we also know that he was a fellow worker for the kingdom and that he was a comfort to Paul. That's all I need to know about him. Because you see, that can be said of so many people in so many ways, in so many situations. All of our coaches, they, they're great coaches, but they've got to have helpers underneath them. If you're a head coach, you can only do so much. You've got to have other, other folks doing it. And if you don't have the other folks that are really good and quality folks, you're not going to go very far. That's the same way with the church, isn't it? You might have one, one or two people, but you've got to have a whole host of others who are willing to be that second string for God. We can, we can produce together more than one person is capable of doing by themselves. And so Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he knew that. And so when Paul didn't want to take Mark with them, he split with Paul, took Mark, and took off on another missionary trip. Paul took Silas, took off on another missionary trip. And what looked like a real bad division ended up being a blessing because more people were touched for God. Now, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So even in the midst of some bad things, some good things can happen. But Paul was able to continue his work while he was awaiting trial before Caesar. And I want you also to notice in verses 12 and 13, the third group of people, uh, a third group of people he talks about. And this was a man who prayed. Pick up with me at verse 12. Epaphras who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Areopolis. Epaphras. He's the person that, as we started our sermon series back in June, he's the person that started this church in Colossae. And Paul describes him as one of you again. He cared deeply for these people, especially those in Laodicea and Areopolis, which is not too far away. A fellow prisoner in Philemon 20, verse 23, he calls him a fellow prisoner. What could he do for those so far away? Well, he could pray. Epaphras was a man of prayer. Well, what kind of prayers did he pray? Well, he prayed always or constantly. He prayed fervently. He prayed personally he prayed with a goal in mind i've mentioned our prayer ministry team that meets here on thursday mornings at 11 they pray fervently for you for our church 
They pray for me. I'm telling you, it's awesome to, to know that you're being prayed for. If you have specific prayer needs, that's why I ask you to write them on the back there. That team gets those every week. And they go to God with those. You might, And if you want it to be very confidential, just write that on there. Confidential. And trust me, nobody will, nobody will know, but this prayer team and God, that's it. We're not going to get up and broadcast it to anybody. But we want to be able to pray specifically for you too. And we want to encourage you to join that prayer ministry. You might say, well, preacher, I can't get there on Thursday morning at 11. But I'd like to pray. Hey, great. Just let us know. We'll get some information to you and you begin to pray. We just need to know. All right? But if we become people of prayer, if we as individuals become people of prayer, great things can happen. Success as a team can mean great things. Paul realized and often solicited the prayers of others on his behalf. But there's one bittersweet note as we close out this book, this study. And it's found in verse 14. Take a look at it. It says, Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. You might say, well, preacher, that doesn't sound bittersweet. Well, he mentions Luke, the beloved physician, first. He was a fellow traveler with Paul on a number of his journeys, Acts 16, Acts 20, Acts 27. He was used of the Holy Spirit to write over half the New Testament. He penned both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. In total, they would constitute the major majority of the New Testament. He was faithful to Paul to the very end, if you read 2 Timothy 4. But the bittersweet mention is of the man Demas. Demas later left Paul. At the time Colossians and Philemon was written, Demas was a fellow laborer. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul pens these words, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. That's an important person to realize, and that's an important person to hear about, because I want you to stop for just a moment and think, of at least one person that you know of who's done what Demas did. And that is, go back to the world. I have names coming in. Plural, names of people. For whatever reason. And that's why we want to have this class called Unchristian. Because we want to help you identify what it is, the strategy that Satan's using against the church to cause a younger generation to check out a church. See, my greatest fear for this group of seniors is that when they leave us and go to college, they're going to have to make Christ preeminent in their life in a culture that says, forget that. Forget that. Mom and dad won't be there to make them get up and go to church. Preacher won't show up on their doorstep. Well, I might. <laughs> they don't know when I might come over. I got the rudest awakening of what college life looked like when Corey went to OSU. I was used to Bible college. He said, Dad, I'm moving into an apartment. I said, oh, that sounds awesome. Oh. Man, I had to cover one eye, both eyes. 
Go home, take a shower, come up and repent. <laughs> but in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of those things, when I'd get that call and say, Dad, my moral compass kicked in today, I would shout hallelujah. I'd shout hallelujah. So my greatest desire for our young people is that they have moral compasses that don't quit kicking in. <laughs> and I, my, my greatest desire for you as adults is to let that moral compass keep kicking in. And when you mess up, when you blow it, when you make a bad choice, adults, the great news is God loves you. Jesus loves you. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how stupid it was. He still loves you. His name is love. He reaches beyond ourselves and beyond our issue to shower grace on us. To shower grace on us. Five things I want you to take away from today's message. Number one, Demas should serve as a serious reminder of the need to stay steadfast to the very end. We read that in Revelation 2.10 just a while ago. Secondly, others in this passage remind us that the spread of the gospel during the first century was not accomplished through the efforts of great men like Paul and the twelve apostles alone. Before I go to point number three of what I want you to learn, I made a list, a quick list this morning of my 32 years in ministry and this is not an exhaustive list there's no way I could put down every person who has been my second string helper in ministry but I've got to mention a few Grady Kennedy Grady Kennedy taught me this great lesson he that tooteth his own horn the same shall not be tooted you might say huh? It'll come to you at lunch. My dear friend that's with Jesus, Doy Doak. Doy Doak taught me so much. Taught me how to paint. I didn't know how to paint. I thought I knew how to paint. Trust me, I knew how to paint. But till I painted with Doy, I didn't know how to paint. I know now how to paint, but I didn't know how to paint. My dear friend Jack Franklin sitting right over there. Jack was an elder in the church at Memorial Park when I was 23 years old. And he still loves me enough to sit in church on Sunday and listen to me preach. He and his wife Arlene. I have never, ever seen Jack any other way than I see him today. Always got a smile. Always got a positive outlook. I never heard him say one bad word about anybody anytime. I wish my life was that way. Joe and Karen Nickel. Greatest youth sponsors I've ever, ever had. Ever. Jim and Betty Cousin. Paul and Dee Bohm. Terry and Laura Jackson. Laura Jackson. Oh, Terry was just along for the ride. <laughs> Laura was unbelievable. Dave Lane. Loved me unconditionally. Lillian Knoll taught me how to pray. Bob and Jane Allen. 
Ed and Joanne Osinga, Leon and Pat Acton. They owned a motel in Branson. Used to let my boys come swim in their swimming pool. And when they get out, they go in. Pat would pull out the little uh, M and M's. I mean, the little uh, uh, Tootsie Rolls. The little Tootsie Rolls. And she'd have a big old box of them. And she'd hand them up to them boys. And I'd reach in and she'd slap my hand. So, but anyway, they they that Leon and Pat. Wyatt Colclasure. What a great name. <laughs> but he taught me about grace in old age. Old farmer named Phil Phillips. Isn't that a great name? What's your name? Phil Phillips. Boy, that's a creative mother right there. But Phil was about as steady as they go. I could not even begin to name the ones in this church who have been my second string helpers. There's there's too many. But I gotta focus on Don Baker, one just one of them. He's loved me and allowed me to be a real person. And I will always love him for that. Um, we all make mistakes. And I love it because he'd always put his arm around me. He'd say, he'd say, Coach, <laughs> he'd say, Coach, are you going to stay in the game? And there were times I didn't want to play anymore. Through. Because when you have to look at yourself, it's not a very pleasant issue, is it? <laughs> but he was uh, a dear brother who loved me and keeps loving me. And I will always appreciate him. Right behind him, I need to put so many of you, your names there. But I'm telling you, nothing happens with one person. The more people behind that ministry... The more people involved in that ministry, the greater that ministry's impact is. And God's grace is waiting to be poured out on all of us. And when I think of God's grace, I think of the story I read about Billy Graham. He was driving through a small uh, southern town as the worship team comes to help me close. He was driving through this small southern town and a policeman stopped him for speeding. Billy Graham admitted he was guilty and the policeman said, well, that's fine, but you're still going to have to come before the judge. So Billy Graham went before the judge. The judge said, guilty or not guilty? He said, guilty. He said, I was uh, speeding. The judge will say, well, that'll be $10. That's a dollar for every mile over the speed limit that you were going. And then the, the judge suddenly recognized the famous preacher standing in front of him. And he said, you have violated the law. And he said, I understand that. I must uh, pay the fine. And so the judge said, yes, you must pay the fine, but I tell you what, I'm going to pay the fine for you. So he pulled out his wallet, got a $10 bill, attached it to the, to the uh, ticket, and handed it to the uh, court official. And then he took Billy Graham out, and he bought him a steak dinner. <laughs> to which Billy Graham had this to say, this is just how God treats every sinner who repents. God, this morning, we just need a special touch from You. Always do. We sometimes forget it. Some of us 
need it more than others today. So God, would you be real to us? Would we let you touch us? Your grace is so great. Your forgiveness so quick. Your love unmeasurable. So Father, if it's depression, if it's loneliness, if it's I've made a series of bad choices, if it's I let my guard down and really, oh my. If it's I said a bad word this week, God. If it's God, I didn't listen to my kids when they wanted to talk to me. God, it's not, if, if I didn't obey my parents the way I should have. If I stole a pen from the office. Whatever it is, God, your grace is sufficient. And God, we want you to know, and we want your people to know, that they are loved. So God, today, would you move in us? If you're here today, Lord, if they're here today, and they need to make a decision of any kind, would they do it? crosses up front for them to fall on their knees and call out to you they need to join a church we're not perfect but we're forgiven and we'll love people the best of our ability the way Jesus loves people maybe they've never been baptized before and are interested in knowing what that means I'd sure love a chance to teach you from your word whatever it is God let them respond in Jesus name amen let's stand as we sing